Hey all, Domingo here. I'm the youth director at Genesis Church, and hey, welcome to the Fourth Quarter Podcast. Uh, a quick little side note, we had some technical issues last week with the audio, uh, so we had to re-record. That's why the intro will be a bit different, but everything else will be normal. Uh, so without further ado, let me shut up and let's listen to Roger. With Jesus making a commitment to the poor from the outset of his ministry, I don't know how so many of us got it so wrong for so long, but sadly we did. Pastoring in Scotland in the late 70s, I still have a vivid recollection of a very meaningful conversation I had. It was one winter afternoon with a lady from the village we lived in who wanted a real relationship with Jesus. We'd had a number of chats spanning several months whenever I'd seen her in the store where she worked. But those were invariably interrupted by another customer coming in the door or some interaction from a co-worker. She had so many questions and was genuinely looking for answers. So in the end, we set up an appointment for me to visit her home. All these years later, I know it was winter because I can picture us sitting either side of the open coal fire in her solid stone cottage leaning in for extra warmth as we both sipped on cups of tea. Kathy confided how she believed in God, believed the Bible, but didn't have any sense of being a child of God. We had a terrific time. She was so genuine and open to really knowing Christ for herself. After we talked for quite some time, I sensed we'd reached the point where I should ask her if she wanted to pray there and then and commit her life to Christ. I thought she was ready, but she said she wasn't. And of course, I didn't pursue that line any further. You don't pick the fruit till it's ripe. Instead, I wrapped up our conversation and prayed with Kathy. Then as I was leaving, I told her it would be great if she could be in church with us on Sunday. Standing in her doorway, bracing myself to face the bitter winds outside, I was totally unprepared for her response. Roger, I couldn't come to your church. I don't have good enough clothes. My immediate response was to tell her that what people wear isn't important. But she insisted, it is in your church. And I was speechless, because she was right. I'm not saying anything about the people that I was pastoring. They were some of the most wonderful, godly, caring, generous people on earth. But overall, it was a prosperous part of the country. And people liked to, or maybe felt obliged to, dress to the nines for church. No malice was intended, yet unwittingly, we were setting a standard that left some feeling they just would not fit in. So sadly they didn't come. However unintentional, the good news must never be limited to those of a certain social standing, while others feel left out. And we need to remember that the poor were the Saviour's priority. Now I fully appreciate that the multi-millionaire living in a 10,000 square feet home can be as bankrupt within as the homeless man begging for a cup of coffee outside a 7-Eleven. But there's no getting away from the fact that Jesus spent a lot of his time with those who had precious little of this world's goods. 
hey, he didn't even have a permanent home himself. To do the quote-unquote Lord's work must involve reaching out to the poor in some form or another. And not just as a conscience-cleansing, feel-good event once a year at Thanksgiving. Not long after coming to New York, I was able to immerse myself pretty heavily in working with the homeless for several years. My church duties then left me some time to volunteer with an organization that fed the homeless on the Lower East Side of Manhattan three times a week. And I became a regular on their Monday night and Saturday afternoon outreaches. When most people think of New York, they picture Manhattan. But of course, there's a whole state by the same name, beyond the five boroughs that make up New York City. I don't live in the city, I'm in the burbs, on the increasingly heavily populated but still beautiful Long Island that juts 100 plus miles out into the Atlantic from the big city itself. The transition from rural Scotland to bustling Long Island was a huge adjustment for us as a family. We had spent the previous 15 years living in a tiny coastal community nestled on the edge of the North Sea. Our children had grown up there, playing on the rocks, running through the streets with total freedom. It was all they had really known. The total population of the twin villages of Cairnbog and Inverallachie was around 1,500 people. So I knew everybody, and they knew me. Of course, as with small communities, it generally went without saying that everyone knew all your business too, and what they didn't know they would often make up. But that was a small price to pay for living in a place where there was no real need to even lock your front door or your car door at night, and we frequently didn't. With just one road into the village and the same one out, no through traffic, no traffic lights, no congestion. We were a world away from the life we would soon be catapulted into. On a clear, sunny day, that was the most beautiful place on earth. But in the long, dark days of winter, when fierce winds assaulted you, pushing driving rain into your face, it felt like the bleakest place ever. I loved my life as a country pastor and fully expected to be there the rest of my life. But as we all know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because he had very different ideas. If Long Island took some getting used to after the slow-paced life we'd known in Scotland, Manhattan itself was positively intimidating. I well remember that first Monday night I went into the city to work with the homeless on Manhattan's Lower East Side. It was not the best part of the city. We would be feeding people just a couple of hundred yards down from Tompkins Square Park, which had been the scene of major riots in 1988. The park had been virtually taken over by drug pushers, the homeless, squatters and punks, who were there 24 hours a day. And in an effort by the city of New York to restore some order and return the park to the community, police battled protesters on two consecutive nights that summer. They were looking to impose a curfew on the use of the park. It was the worst violence the city had seen in years. And the New York Times reported it resembled a war zone. 
Little was resolved, and as we made our way over the Williamsburg Bridge onto Delancey Street for my first visit, I began to tense up. Knowing we were going right into that same part of the Alphabet City neighborhood that had witnessed such unrest. The homeless were still in Tompkins Square Park, as were the addicts and the dealers. Several of the dilapidated buildings that lined the narrow streets leading down from the park had become homes for squatters. We would be feeding them all as we set up our spot on the sidewalk of Ninth Street. Monday nights were light as we would only serve hot dinners to around 150 people. Saturdays, on the other hand, could top 600, with the line stretching down onto Avenue D and back up 8th Street. Whatever the numbers, outreaches could always be challenging, as we dealt with people under the influence of alcohol, drugs, and the mentally ill who abound on the city streets. During his 1997 re-election campaign, running for his second term as mayor, I, I heard Rudy Giuliani say he would drive the homeless out of New York City, which may have sounded virtuous to some of his electorate, but it left a lot more of us wishing he had some more concrete ideas to ease the plight of the tens of thousands living on the streets. They were everywhere. I was thoroughly intimidated for the first few months of volunteering with the homeless. A lot of these were unstable, unpredictable people. They frequently argued, threatened. Many had real difficulties with the basics, like taking a numbered ticket, waiting online and staying online. They couldn't deal with the fact that if they wandered off and missed their turn, they had to get a new number and start the process again. There were the occasional scuffles, but I was only punched once myself. It was a sucker punch I never saw coming, as I told a guy if he didn't stay online, he wouldn't be served. My jaw was sore for days, but thankfully that was all the damage that was done. My assailant didn't reappear for several months, but when he did, he lifted his shirt and showed me the scars from three bullet holes in his torso. He was lucky to be alive. As he apologized to me, he added, I guess this is what happens if you punch a pastor. Uh-huh. One Monday night, a small guy pulled a knife on me because I told him he wouldn't be allowed on our line carrying alcohol. I faced him down and taunted him, and eventually he walked away. But I was later informed by some who knew the streets better, and in no uncertain terms, that it was incredibly dangerous for me to have told him put up or shut up. If you're going to use that thing, go for it. If not, put it away and go away. What did I know? I was a country pastor in the big city. However, as time went by, I came to develop what we called my street face. While I cared for every client, I didn't take nonsense from anyone, as I retained control of things at all times. I overheard a conversation once that went something like this. Who's the big guy down there? That's Pastor Roger. I remember when he first came out here, but I wouldn't mess with him now. I laughed, if they only knew. St. Paul said he was willing to become all things to all people so that he might win one. Down on the Lower East Side, I became a no-nonsense guy's 
let me say that again because it makes sense. I became a no-nonsense guy to those that I needed to see me that way as we served hundreds of people regularly. I came alive on the street. After more than 20 years of pastoring, it was as if I found something that gave me fulfillment on a whole different level. Maybe that was because I was doing what Jesus wants us to be doing. If he was in Manhattan at 1 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, I was convinced he'd be right down there with us. One Saturday afternoon when the outreach was well underway, I was approached by one of our regulars. It was impossible to tell how old James was or to even guess. His filthy, matted hair and beard hid much of his face and his body was wrapped in a disgusting long brown overcoat. I literally smelled James coming before I saw him. For all the times James had come through our food line, I knew little about him. The only piece of information I remember was that he would come down from the Bronx to get a hot meal and a pantry bag from us. There were a few basic rules that helped us to maintain order with such a big and varied crowd. One was that however credible and heart-tugging your story, it was one hot meal per person. You couldn't take a second for tomorrow, for your roommate who had to go to court but still needed to eat, or even your grandmother who was so desperately hungry she may not make it through the night. And Lord knows, some of our clients knew how to spin stories. They were masters of manipulation. But we prided ourselves on being wise to their ways too. When James approached me with his hot dinner in one hand and his pantry bag in the other, saying, Roger, can I ask you for something? I was pretty sure he was going to hit me up for a second dinner. I was just wanting to hear his creative reasoning. But that wasn't what he wanted at all. In fact, when he, what he told me made me first react that I'd rather give him a second meal. He was a tall guy and his sad eyes engaged mine. I saw tears beginning to roll down his cheeks as he asked, Roger, would you give me a hug? Not a single person has hugged me in years. I froze for a fraction of a second that seemed like an eternity and then I said, of course I will, James. As I reached out and pulled him close, something mysterious happened. Suddenly the stench of his unwashed body and clothes disappeared and it was as if I heard the voice of Jesus saying, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The two of us stood there, both now crying like babies, locked in an embrace that I guess was long, but I wasn't watching the time. As he eventually left to walk up towards Tonkin Square Park, starting his journey to wherever he lived, there was a smile that could be seen through his ragged beard, and there was life in the eyes that had been so sad and empty. And his simple sad question made a lasting impression on me. From that day to this, I've maintained that if you want to get really close to Jesus, you need to be where he is. And you'll always find Jesus right alongside the people who need him most.
I spent many years in ministry talking about, singing about, and longingly looking for a significant encounter with God inside church services. Nothing wrong with that. And I've known incredibly powerful times in worship services in, in many countries of the world. But faith goes stale when we don't find opportunities to use it for what it was given to us for. To be the light of Jesus in the dark places of this world and to the precious people living in darkness. If God has blessed us, it is so we can be a blessing to others. I often say there is not a single living person who is not known to God, special to God, and for whom he does not have a purpose in this life and a place in the life to come. Sadly, most people don't know that. We need to reach out to them and share that very good news. And that's why the second lesson is this. Live to lift up. Hey, welcome back to the Fourth Quarter Podcast. Um, so, Roger, just off the bat, uh, I love how you're just so transparent about it, being really nervous and uncomfortable, um, going from coming from Scotland and going into Long Island, and not just uh, going into Long Island, but going into the heart of the city in a really rough area. And you talked about the um, the uncomfortability of it. Can you? What would you say to someone? Because I think a lot of people want to help, and they want to help in different ways, and help specifically with the poor. And I think that level of uncomfortability holds so many people back. Uh, what would you say to someone? Who's like, I just can't get over that, Roger. I'm nervous. About yeah. It. It, here's the thing. Actually, I've got, the first thing I'd say is listen to the next part of my podcast where I talk about facing your fears. <laughs> uh, he, he, here's the thing. As long as we are in our comfort zones, yeah. we will never grow yeah. and we will never reach our full potential. Mm. Yeah. But actually, we grow when we're stretched. Yeah. And our full potential is a million miles away from where we are at right now. Yeah. So discomfort is going to be a part of it. And, and, and fear is part of that. You know, yeah. um, if you're going to work in, in a subculture, yeah. um, you know, that is not yours and you're not used to, <laughs> yeah. um, it is always going to be intimidating. Yeah. Um, but the fact is this, I mean, I went into the Lower East Side, you know, for the first few weeks wondering if I would come out alive <laughs> and, you know, looking all around me and wow. wondering who was going to shoot me, kill me. <laughs> yeah. And um, none of those things happened. Yeah. Because actually... Um, what we find is two things. Number one, most of our fears are fantasies of our imagination. Mm -hmm. And and number two, if we do what God wants us to do, God's promised his presence will go with us. Beautiful. Yeah. But I mean, you talk about fears. You literally got punched. You did get punched, which is a fear people have. I mean, you kept going back. Was there even yeah, a doubt? Yeah, mind? that guy hurt me, man. I tell you, he I, I he just landed this punch right on my chin. <laughs> And like my 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 head sort of jerked back yeah. like whiplash. Yeah, I had an instant headache. Oh. I think from that and <laughs> and um, yeah, but that was the exception. I mean, I mean, there was another night when you know one of the old ladies who lived up the block who helped us. Um, she said, um, 
one of the, there was a guy on the line giving us a hard time and, yeah. and he said something unkind to her and she got up and started walking up the block and I said I said hey Mrs Brown don't you know, don't leave us please stay yeah. she said I'm not leaving honey so I'm going to get my gun and I'm going to fix that guy and <laughs> and she was serious so yeah. for the next 10 minutes I'm trying to get Mrs Brown to calm down so she don't go and kill somebody that night but <laughs> it was but you know what honestly yeah. it there wow. was a side of it that was exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you know there, there was, um, you didn't know what you were going to face. And I mean, mm. yeah, there are stories. You know, I broke up a fight one day and I got in between these guys and I had one guy pinned up against the fence. And then the guy he'd been screaming at shouted something in Spanish. And one, yeah. of, our, one of our volunteers from the city grabbed him and pulled him away to one side. Yeah. And talked to him and walked him up walked him up the block and things settled down and when the volunteer came back he said you don't know spanish do you i said no he says probably a good thing because he said you know what when i grabbed him he was putting his hand in his jacket oh. and he said what he shouted in spanish was get out the way i'm going to blow him away oh. he said he was reaching for a gun <laughs> But yeah, yeah, but I, I, you know what? Those are the exceptions. Honestly, yeah. we tell yeah. the stories because they're exciting. Yeah. I, you know, I volunteered in there for seven years. Yeah. Um, so I went in most Mondays and Saturdays for seven years. So that's seven hundred times. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and you know, those are the outstanding sort of craziness stories. Yeah, yeah. But most of the time, it's with people when you took the time to chat with them. Yeah. They they were broken. Uh, they were open yeah. and they just needed to be loved, you know. So, so I kept up the kind of the street, the street <laughs> face from a general per perspective, because if you don't run the show, mm -hmm. they'll run it for you. Yep. Um, um, but then yeah. as people got to know me and I got comfortable with them, I had some wonderful conversations and times with people in the yeah. city. I'm sure. Well, that that James story. It's not the first time I've heard that story, right. but it's still just as powerful. Because you, you do a really good job too, letting it like you are as you're writing this book, the details of it. But it, it, the story is incredible, right? It's like the, those singular moments. All of a sudden, you see, worse. you don't think of those things. You mm. see somebody. You see a homeless guy, or yeah. you see a guy sitting begging. Yeah. And it's like, you know, what's his problem? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you you, you have a, a guy like James who says. Nobody's hugged me for ages. Yeah, man. I'm... And you think below all that filth and scruffiness, yeah. there is a heart that's yeah. hurting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a guy who hardly feels human. Oh, yeah. And and I think, you know, to be able to see people as Jesus sees them. But, you know, it's not just under the filth. Sometimes, you know, it's it's behind the wheel of the Ferrari, actually. <laughs> yeah, amen. There's somebody who's hurting to death. Yeah. And, and, and our goal has just got to be to love people yeah. and, and to really just do anything we can yeah. to connect them in a way, with them in a way that's going to lift them up. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I, something too that really just stuck with me. It's crazy to think in the story of your life, 20 years, you said, of pastoring, right? To get to this moment where talking about feeling more alive and doing this. But it's incredible to think that all the ministry, right? 20 years of ministry and you're serving and loving people and you're in the community you're at. And uh, to me, it's just mind-blowing to think, wow, 20 years in, and then you really discovered something that clearly lit something in you that uh, being a part of Genesis now this still carries on. Um, it's pretty remarkable, huh? 
Well, it was I, you know, it was a thing. Like a couple of episodes ago, I, I, I said, you know, when I was young and when I was a teenager, um, a passion developed within me to help those that are hurting. Um, but then I got bogged down in doing pastor wow. things, yeah. and in church, often for the sake of church and yeah. looking after church people who are all wonderful people. Yeah. Um, but it's like. I got sidetracked from doing what I was passionate about. And what's been the blessing now is is that, you know, from from back then, which was the, um, where are we, early 90s, I was working in the city for 20 odd years now. Hmm. Um, I've been able to essentially be in a church context yeah. where our goal is wherever they are and whoever they are to help people that are hurting. Yeah. So we put the two together, and, and I think in that we found fresh purpose for church. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you look at something sometimes and think, what's that for? Uh, and, and, you know, I don't blame people if they look at the church sometimes and think, well, what's that for? What, you know, what does it do? What, you know, what, what does it do? What, what's the use of it? Is it, is it, you know, is it what's it there for? And, and what the church is for is, is, is to show and share the love of Jesus. Roger, where can the people find us at? Where, 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 where are we at? Where um, are we, at? we are we are at we are at uh, genesisli.com is where you can find a bit more about the church. If you want to join us any Sunday morning, right now our services are not happening, of course, in person. We are live streaming at genesisli.com, or you can go to Genesis Church. If you look for Genesis Church Li on Facebook, we're on the church Facebook page, and those are live at 9:30 every Sunday morning. So, hey, great way to connect with us. We'd love you to. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to you listening more on the fourth quarter podcast. Thanks so much. Bye.